Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Batman. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks about what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we talk about a lot of things. We've actually been talking about games quite a bit. It feels like we haven't talked about a movie in a long time. Yeah, uh, probably before Christmas at this point, maybe? Yeah. Uh, but yes. Well, we, we still have the Fast and Furious renaissance to, to yeah. come, but for now, the big the big news, right, is The Batman has come out. Uh, made a gazillion dollars, you know, like a quarter of a million dollars in its first weekend, obviously. This is this is the exact thing you would expect, right? Uh, very hyped movie starring Robert Pattinson, uh, Paul Dano, and Colin Farrell, and uh, also Zoe Kravitz. Just like a bunch. Uh, there's a is bunch Zoe of people Kravitz just... related to Lenny Kravitz? Yeah, I think it's Lenny Kravitz's daughter, right? Okay. And I, I honestly have no idea. I was like, I was, I was like, I recognize that name. Um, I really enjoy uh, Zoe Kravitz. Is yeah, the daughter of American musician Lenny Kravitz and actress Lisa Bonet. So yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into spoilers, uh, what's your top line takeaway? What did you think of this movie? I think so. The the. Maybe the hard thing, the crazy thing, is I think this is the best Batman movie ever made. Um, at least in terms of, like, you know, live-action, mainstream, you know, like, blockbuster Batman movie ever made, right? Um, which is complicated, but I also didn't love it, um, mostly because it is an incredibly well-done movie that is also on very well-trod ground. And I found myself in a position of um, wanting something a little bit different and new by, by the end of the, by the end of the movie. So that's my, that's my high level overview. All right. Well, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I did not think this was say better than like the dark Knight. Um, although it's been a while since I've seen the dark Knight, So, you know, maybe my memory is failing me, but um, I like. I thought this was one of the prettiest Batman movies. Definitely, I like. I, I really appreciated the cinematography in this movie. Um, but similar to you, I thought some of it was a little bit well trod on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, like it felt like. So there's this set of perennial tweets on Twitter, which is like, "Why is Batman beating up on the mentally ill and not just giving more money to social services?" And it felt like they turned that into a movie, but it also felt like they didn't like they made some pushes in that direction and then they pulled their punches back at the end which i didn't like i thought this movie was like i thought it was too long and i thought it was like fairly mediocre um all things considered um but i think okay. it was very pretty um but i don't want to yeah, say yeah i definitely agree that it was very pretty yeah i i do think it's important to to underscore this is always the case right which is that I think that humans are naturally progressive and that we get better at things over time. So even though I do think The Dark Knight is a very good film, um, mostly it's just little things, right? Like The Dark Knight is filmed in a more boring way. The, mostly the action. I thought the action in The Batman was filmed really well um, and was and was visceral and great um, in a way that none of the Christopher Nolan movies ever got to. So even though, and we're going to talk about it more, like I have a couple of problems in little, you know, Things that I wouldn't have done, I guess maybe I would, I would, I would call them. Um, uh, it does feel like it is a, a step up from The Dark Knight 15 years ago, which, while it was, you know, kind of good for the time, we've learned a lot about w what makes for good superhero action filmmaking in the intervening decade and a half. Okay, that's I, I, I think that that's fair. I think I, I think 
in general, I liked just kind of like the footing of the Batman. I also think that like the bat or um, the that the Dark Knight like kind of hit at a point where making a making a like it came before the DC universe and it came yep. and you know and one of the favorite one of my favorite things I saw over the weekend was the Doctor Manhattan photo. It is nineteen eighty four. I'm watching a gritty Batman. <laughs> Yeah, it is 2004. I'm watching a gritty Batman. It's 2022, and I'm watching a gritty Batman. I mean, that's film. kind of true, right? Like that's that's what I mean when I say this is well trod ground, right? Like yeah, I likened yeah, it to. Uh, we were talking about this in Ray the other day, and somebody asked my opinion. I said um, the Batman is a fantastic steak. It is the most delicious steak I have ever eaten, right? But I have also had steak every day this week. So no matter how good that steak on Friday is, you know what I mean? It's, I'm still sick of it, kind of. And that's really where I fall down when it comes to, like, the, the big thing. And and, th- and this is also why I, I don't dock the Batman for these points, right? This does not make the movie bad. It just means that I'm looking for something a little bit new and... I would just point b- the camera in a completely different direction, essentially. So it's like, that's that feels like an unfair thing to hold against the Batman and to say, this is a bad movie because I wanted something different, right? It's like, well, no, I mean, you know, that's th- not that's not really judging it on its own terms, this right? Is, this is actually an interesting question about about um, about kind of the nature of reviews. And I, mm-hmm. I've actually been having some other thoughts kind of along the nature of reviews with, with regards to video games that we'll end up talking about a little bit later, I think. Um, uh, 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 maybe, maybe another week, but we'll talk about that later. But I think that, like, the, the fundamental question here is, right, you know, how much do you take this movie on its own and how much do you take it in the greater context, right? Like, how much do you take it in light of the fact that, you know, th- you know, this is the third gritty, dark, gritty Batman movie in a, D, in a in a relatively dark DC universe, versus it is theoretically a standalone film. I don't even think it's tied into the DC universe con- continuity. Yeah, me neither. And um, I quite like that, to be honest. I think that it did a fantastic job. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago. I think I think it was Zack Snyder who said this. Maybe it was his producer who said this. He said that he didn't want the uh, the DC universe to be uh, producer-driven. He wanted it to be filmmaker-driven. That was his thing, right? He was like, you know, like, we want to get, we want to find filmmakers with vision and give them a lot of creative license to do, like, the cool thing or whatever. And this feels like the delivery on that promise, right? Um, Or, you know, I mean, you could say that about a lot of things. I think there's a lot of kind of director-driven movies in the DC universe in general. But um, this is just, like, it's such a particular take that is completely it doesn't give a it doesn't give a flying fuck about like continuity or you know any of these like connections to other movies or anything along those sorts of lines and even though you know like we celebrate those i celebrate those when they when they come up and a lot of our episodes along these lines are filled with all of these like oh this might be hinting at mm, you know like what's next or whatever right it was actually pretty nice that there was none of that stuff um in in this movie itself i mean there was a little bit right like well i mean well, we're gonna hit the spoiler. Like, let's let's put the spoiler warning down so, here. So sure, there there it was there, there was a little bit in the sense that it set up a like it it teased the possibility of future Batman stuff, right? Yeah. But well, it did not have 
you know, Wonder Woman sitting at a laptop watching trailers of, you know, other DC superheroes in, in you know, like Batman vs. Superman, right? I mean, all right, so I'm, I'm going to put a spoiler mark down here, right? Like, if you, sure. you want to go watch this, go watch it and don't listen to us. But um, rolling back to it, you know, it did have the Joker in a cell, right? Like, talking yep. to the Riddler, That's being true. the Joker. And yet, yes, I, 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 I get that, like, you know, a sequel hook's a little bit better than, like, a, a continuity, like, like, a huge continuity thing. But I do think that, that like, you know, that's there. Um, and, you know, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But I, 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 understand, I understand what you're driving at. Yeah, I mean, it's the same sequel hook that was in, like, Batman Begins, right? Um, so. Yep, fair. Fair, fair. All right. Well, um, getting into spoiler, deep into spoiler territory. Then, uh, did you have anything in particular you wanted to jump into at first? The thing I want to explain uh, is sort of about this, like, to to, to explain the, this stake thing. The thing that bothers me a little bit about the Batman is Batman as a character is so much bigger than this particularized version of him. Right? You know, we have we we've, we've seen this version of Batman or whatever. Um, and the thing that I that I found myself sort of um, and you know like we knew there wasn't going to be Robin, right? There wasn't going to be like a bigger like Bat family or whatever. Um, and it's it's a weird uncanny valley situation. But the thing that I felt myself wanting was not seeing a fresh prime. Bruce Wayne on the job, right? I kind of, and you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of like the Ben Affleck Batman. I kind of just want to see a, like a quote unquote middle-aged Batman at this point, right? Like I want to see a Batman who has been in, has, has been doing it for a significant period of time and is an established person in the universe, right? Right. And, and it's fine. There could be Commissioner Gordon. There can be like other, you know, villains or whatever. But that's just, that's the Batman that, first of all, I grew up with, right? Because in the, the Batman comics that I was reading, obviously he was a character who'd been around for decades and decades and decades at that point, right? So all of that stuff is sort of dyed in the wool when it comes to, you know, the, the, the fabric of his mythos. Um, but it also just like puts this weird tinge on everything that, that, uh, I just feel like we've, we've hit on a million times before. And, um, and so I just want to see, I just want to see Batman as a dad. I just want to see Batman with a Robin, preferably with a Nightwing and a Robin, because the interaction between Batman, Nightwing, and Robin, even Jason Todd, dude, Jason Todd is great in that. All of that, I think, is is very missing in the live-action Batman stories, and it's such a core part of the character, right? It is so fundamental to how, like, Batman comics, from the comics I grew up with, work, right? Um, that he is part of this greater universe and this and this bigger uh, and this bigger family. And the thing that really got me on this track was all of this back and forth he had with uh, with Selena Kyle with Catwoman, right? Because like they're kind of the OTP, if that makes sense. Where Batman, like Batman and and Selena Kyle, and Batman and Catwoman are sort of the mom and dad in a way of the bat of like the whole bat family. There was a whole thing in the comics where, you know, like they, they almost like got married. Um, and so being teased with all of that in this, in this movie where, um, you know, Catwoman is such a, a deep part of the ongoing kind of conflict and plot. Uh, I don't know. It just, it just made me want to see, it just made me want to see more of like a bigger, more complete bat family. Um, so 
I don't know. That's where that's where that's that's that that's that spiel. Like I said, I don't think it's super fair to hold this against the movie, but please God, give me a the Batman two and include fucking Robin in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and I, I don't I don't even know if like like I feel like this Batman is too young to like effectively have a Robin unless it like takes place like you know 10, 20 years later or something like that, right? Like, um, but I think I, I think I'm with you on that. I like. Um, <laughs> I, again, you know, like we said, you know, it's, this is like the, this is the third gritty Batman movie. Even, but even like the first gritty Batman movie had Robin, right? Like that's like I'm thinking. I think the the first gritty Batman movie was was what was it Keaton or was it was, was that is, is that the one that everybody? No, the Robins in that set of Batman's came out with Joel Schumacher, right? Because it's yeah. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, right? That right, right. were the two that were directed by Schumacher that are campy and over the top and i actually secretly kind of love those movies right um but like yeah that that is the last time we saw a live action robin and i do want to i do want to mention batman the batman animated movies do do this and they do this very well right and so um you know i would like there is a batman under the red hood movie i think actually that features all of this stuff um there is a greater continuity to some of that stuff too right where you know you see uh um uh the robin they use there is damien damien wayne uh who is batman's biological son with with tali al ghul yeah um but it's just like I, th- that's that that's the 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 thing I want to see going forward, right? Because it's just it's so core, it's so core to what we understand about like Batman from from a comics version that to have multiple movies where there is Batman and no Robin is crazy to me. I mean, technically, technically there was a live action Robin in. Um... The dark, not the third dark. The Night Dark Knight Rises, movies. yeah, with the with that cop, oh, I hated that. So yeah, much. J- J- Joseph uh, Gordon Levitt, yeah. Um, oh, Lou in the chat says so. Titans, Batman. I actually haven't watched Titans. I need to watch Titans. The fuck, Batman show. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and and we do get we actually do get a bat or a Robin suit in Justice League. Um, yeah, yeah, also that's true. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I do like that as a detail. And I, you know, I don't know. It, it's weird. <laughs> We might have gotten that Batman if the DCEU hadn't fallen apart. Oh, yeah. We definitely would have gotten that Batman if, uh, like, Ben Affleck, you know, had kind of, like, stayed on or whatever. That one is interesting because that delivers on the promise of Batman and the Justice League, right? Which is kind of a whole different wing yeah. of the of the thing, right? Which is that, you know, Batman has this peer relationship with other superheroes. And so Batman versus Superman and um, Justice League... Uh, especially the Snyder Cut, obviously, really deliver on that promise of like, okay, this is what Batman and his friends are, you know, up to and doing when they're when they're doing superhero shit, right? Which is another kind of angle on 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 Batman. In the same way that Lego Batman actually, for instance, also does this very well, um, in the sense that it is it is the more kind of funny and kitschy, kid friendly version, right? Like these are all sort of different. It's like it's like putting the Batman beam through a through a kaleidoscope or a, yeah. or a light prism and you're getting all these different you know specific versions kind of popping out the other end yeah honestly it's kind of funny like with the, the kind of arc of this movie which is like from like gritty to kind of like it was like hope's important too is like is this like you know Christian Bale turns into Adam West is that is that like <laughs> what the arc of this movie is supposed to be um uh but um 
you know, the, the, the big thing that, that I wanted to, to kind of talk a little bit about is, 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 again, going back to this kind of like, you know, perennial tweets notion. I don't think those tweets are particularly good when they happen. Oh, um, I hate those tweets, by the way. Yeah. They are the fucking worst. <laughs> right. But this movie kind of posits a world where those tweets are kind of true, but they don't like like the clear implication of this movie is the reason why the plot is happening is because the renewal fund that Thomas Wayne set up um, is not is, has has like no cust like has no custodial like oversight, and that is clearly because uh, you know Bruce Wayne can't be bothered. Right, mm -hmm. like they, they have the accountant show up, and he's like, I don't want to deal with this. Right, like, and like that's like a real point, right? Like, you know, maybe I don't. I'm not going to comment on, on how I think it fits into Batman mysteries, but I think that could be an interesting take. But they don't engage with it, right? They kind of like leave that implication out there and like don't address it at all, right? The, you know, yeah, like, I did feel that. Well, so I was a little confused about this whole notion. One of the things that I actually quite liked about this version of Batman is that it posited a relationship with the Bruce Wayne persona that is a different relationship than the one that we got in Batman Batman Begins, right? Which is the idea that, oh, you need Bruce Wayne to come off as a doofy billionaire so nobody suspects that you're Batman, right? It's like, you know, you gotta you gotta really work hard to pretend. And that's that's true. That is that is comics accurate to the comics that, that that story was drawing from. But there's actually a separate set of comics called um, Bruce Wayne Fugitive, right? Which is the story of how Bruce Wayne gets framed for murder and Batman decides he's just going to drop the Bruce Wayne persona entirely. He's like, well, I don't need this. This was just cover. If Bruce Wayne is on the run, I can just be Batman full time. And the and the the sort of moral of that story is actually that, first of all, number one, Bruce Wayne is necessary psychologically speaking for Batman. Otherwise, he does become a violent asshole who nobody wants to be around and who does bad things. But number two, functionally speaking, he Bruce Wayne has this role in Gotham, right? Where Gotham without Bruce Wayne as kind of a, you know, maybe maybe he's a doofus or whatever, right? But he is ultimately a noble good person who is putting money towards yeah, noble good causes. Yeah, yeah exactly. That that is actually a very important part of Batman's work in Gotham and making Gotham better. And I was like, "Oh, this is actually kind of neat because it's pulling on that second piece of, right. you know, like it, it is making an alternate case for Bruce Wayne than the one that we typically get, which I think is very good and very cool. Um, and it just never – it never gets yeah, anywhere. Yeah, it, it, it gets dropped on the floor. Like, I agree. Yeah. I, I think they could have done some, some interesting stuff with it, right? Like, like, like the moment they said, like, the renewal fund was perfect, it was like, oh, they're going to go there. And that's, that's, that's actually something interesting to do. And they, they don't. They don't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really there to kind of create this drama with, with uh, Batman and his dad yeah. and, and all that stuff. And all of that is also in the comics. Um, it's actually from a line of comics that I like quite a bit called Batman R.I.P., uh, where a supervillain essentially – essentially creates fake news is really what it is in the same way that you know like that's what happens in this movie right where there's only one side of the story so to speak but there's this tabloid you know all oh my the the Waynes were secretly fucking you know corrupt assholes or whatever right um and uh and while I like that I like that on its own right it did create this you know like this alternate implication that was just like it just felt like it was staring me in the face right um, so to not address it, to leave that sort of off the table felt, felt very strange. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Especially when they like wear so, so, so much of kind of like, you know, that kind of worldview, they kind of put it front and center, 
a, a lot, right? Like, there, there's a couple of lines in the movie that, that I frankly found kind of jarring, right? Like, like, um, uh, like Selena Kyle makes a comment about like they only care about like these white people, but it's like, but Annika's white, right? Like, um, and they're, they're like they're, they're like happy to put that out there. That, you know, that's fine, right? Like, you do what you want with your, your art, but then like to just like drop the obvious extension of it on the floor. I just, I just found it immensely frustrating. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I, I also do agree with it though, because I have seen some also bad shit takes on Twitter about this movie that are, I don't know. I just kind of like balk at the politicization of, of every piece of art at all, at all times. Sure. Where, you know, somebody was making like this big, it was just like, it was a really long Twitter thread about like, Oh, the, you know, the renewal slush fund. This is why you need, you know, this is why you need government regulation to prevent, like, corporate oversight. And I was just like, who the fuck? No one is talking about that. You know what I mean? Like, that is d completely unrelated to anything in the movie. Like, you know, there are definitely political stuff. There's political stuff in this movie. There's political stuff in every movie. Yeah, I believe sure. that 100% of the time. But holy fucking shit. Not every, you know, like, not every movie is about the functions of capitalism. All right? Like, I just can't. I just can't with, with this thing. It is entirely. It is, it is also why I hate that, you know, uh, it's, it's it's entirely why I hate that like oh Batman shouldn't be beating up right. you know like, the mentally ill right yeah, yeah the mentally ill he should be he should be funding for whatever it's like first of all read the fucking comics he does the Wayne Foundation is literally I I can't even believe I've said it. it is the biggest charity in Gotham and it has billions of dollars that he allocates to it right number one and number two Batman comics are about somebody poisoning the fucking water supply <laughs> like. Ha Somebody, I saw a tweet along. I'm, par I'm plagiarizing a little bit. A tweet from perennial YouTuber who has won multiple derpies, Patrick H. Willem, said, "You know, no amount of low-income housing is going to fix the fact that KG Beast is on a murder like rampage, right? Like sometimes there's a fucking supervillain on the loose, and you have to lock him in Arkham Asylum. I'm sorry, that's like the rules of this stupid world." Please God, like <laughs> I do want. I, I I need to go find these tweets. I, I'm plagiarizing these tweets, so I, I want to direct people to them because they are they are funny. And Patrick deserves. Um, yeah, no, it, it, this is funny too because I've seen like similar tweets that like, I I'm I'm not a, a disciple of Mr. Willems, but um, uh, you know, it, it's funny to just like see like I have kind of universally also seen stuff that's like you know, please please actually go read something right like this 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 happens. Right, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it's also just kind of like, it's it's like uh, fighting the hypothetical, right? Like, you you want to desperately like you want to apply like Batman to the real world when this is like Batman world where there are supervillains, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, so something something uh, I also wanted to. To, to mention about this movie, just kind of along those lines, is um, oh, there's like I forget the the proper name of the trope, but it's basically like you know, the characters can only be as smart as the writers are, mm -hmm. and like every time they said winged rat and didn't immediately go that's a bat, I fucking like lost my <laughs> mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to make good on this promise, 
the tweet is a quote tweet of somebody who said, growing up is realizing Batman could have done way more to solve crime in Gotham by giving everyone food and shelter than he did by beating the crap out of people. And Patrick responds to this by saying, yes, this is definitely the solution to when an evil clown poisons the water supply. And he follows up by saying, this is the world's most boring take. Read a comic book. Bruce Wayne funds all those programs, but then sometimes KG Beast is going on a murder spree and low-income housing won't solve that. Which is just, uh, it, like, it just sol it salves my soul, right? It's, uh, it's so good. Yeah. So, so anyway, Lou, Lou in the chat said there's a Twitter faction arguing for a pacifist Batman who talks to Joker's problems and finds him a good therapist. So if I'm going to steel man their argument as best as I can, I think the argument is if Batman was putting more money into public endeavors instead of running around in a rubber suit, there would be less villains because there'd be less opportunity, which is like a fairly kind of uh, standard kind of um uh, I guess socialist theory of, of 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 the case, right? Like you know, if you it, like that that crime is that crime is all crime of necessity, which is pretty explicitly not true in the Batman universe, you know, regardless of how it relates to to, to the real world, real world. But that is that is the the theory of the case. This is like people who just like don't want to, don't want don't. Yeah, like I mean, there. I I watched a video by a YouTuber named Sarah Zed the other day. And um, and she talks about this sort of uh, like relentless moralization that has happened in media criticism to a certain extent, which is to say that if I like something, it is to say that that thing is morally good and it stands for morally good values, right? Um, and if I don't like something, that is to say that it is morally bad and it stands for morally evil values, right? Which is like, first of all, a dog shit. Oh, sorry, that, that take is good. But th this is a thing that people do. And when they do, it is dog shit, right? Maybe a good example of this might be Harry Potter, for instance. Like, so for instance, Harry Potter is very obviously a a story about uh, like the the problems of bigotry, right in the wizarding world right you have Voldemort who thinks that only pure blood wizards are good and half blood <laughs> wizards are bad and he wants to persecute the half blood wizards because he's fucking racist right that's it it's yeah. a story about it's a story he's about like literally wizard hitler yeah he's literally wizard hitler right and that is the story but you will see people who post takes about how oh well actually harry potter is fucked up because dumbledore sends a teenager on dangerous missions it's like oh it's like jesus fucking christ like imagine somebody saying that batman actually isn't a superhero because he's putting robin at risk it's like no you fucking idiots it is a fantasy for teenagers they want to think of themselves as superheroes they want to think of themselves as cool wizards going on high stakes adventures where sometimes people fucking die yes in the real world we all think it's irresponsible for batman to take an eight-year-old running around in the batmobile fighting crime but to all the eight-year-olds out there that's actually awesome and i would love to do that and this super cool to think about right and so and i think that that's kind of the underlying you know like issue with this kind of thing right in the same way that whatever you want to you want to say that harry potter is dumb and bad because you know dumbledore is reckless with children's lives i guess or whatever god it's such a stupid Which fucking is argument, also, right a lot of that's also kind of like uh like a secondary level to like shade is effectively a jk rowling because of controversy she's been embroiled in. Yeah. Oh, no. It's That's 100% why, right? J.K. Rowling is transphobic. Therefore, Harry Potter must be bad, 
right? Yeah. The book that she made must be bad. Even though I liked it when I was a teenager, right? Even though I liked it however many years ago. And like, and you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to be like too mean. I don't like Harry Potter and I think Harry Neither Potter do is I, bad. actually. Right? Um, yeah. But I think that Harry Potter is bad for like mundane reasons of sloppy and lazy world building. Not because of like, you know, like, there's no moral failing on Harry Potter. It's not, it's not, Harry Potter is not bad because like, I don't know, it represents the, the impotence of the UK liberal agenda. Just like, you know, who the, sh sh shut the <laughs> fuck up. Like, that's, that's, that's what I want to say about, yeah. about those people in that take. You, and you know what the worst thing is, is like, there's like another step beyond this too, where it's like, it's not only if I, if I agree with this, you know, it must be moral. There's also like a step beyond that, which is like, if a thing happens in a book, regardless, or, you know, in a work of art, regardless of the context of that, that must be the author endorsing it, right? Like you, you see these things kind of, like kind of things happen where like, you know, a character will call another character a slur and that is somehow taken as like, you know, it's like, that's like, the, the book is not framing that as a good thing, right? Like, the, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know that that all gets kind of mixed. Up. We're a little bit far away from from the point. Yeah. Um, I, really, at the end of the day, I think the Batman itself as a movie is remarkably kind of not political. Maybe the most political things about it are um, just kind of the way, like like bat like Catwoman is casually bisexual, right? She is clearly attracted to both Batman and clearly in an established relationship with a female character. That like. That maybe that's the most political thing in the whole fucking movie, as far as as far as I'm yeah. concerned. The, the, there's a, there's a couple of other things, and I don't I don't think they're like I don't think they're meant to be like huge statements, but like I think every single corrupt member of the of like the police force is essentially a white dude, and then like every like you know like the the new mayor is a black woman, the doctor that treats Alfred is a black woman, um, and the, like again I don't think this is particularly political or anything, but I, I, mm. I it, it was a thing that kind of like stood out to me as kind of like um being of the political moment is i think is i think yeah the, that's actually interesting I, I see i i viewed that as specifically apolitical or or rather i guess to kind of say that it cancels out for instance i really appreciate that the movie is not saying all cops are bad because obviously yeah, true. you know jim gordon is a is an honest, true blue cop who is not corrupt, right? And it is also not saying that, like, you know, government is bad because oh, – I can't remember her name. Whoever the mayor – the candidate for mayor is that replaces the corrupt yep. mayor, right? She is she is an earnest person who cares about the citizens of, of Gotham and wants to make Gotham a better place. And I don't I, – you know, I think there's a temptation for these sorts of folks to view those as, oh, the movie thinks – whoever, you know, like, oh, like, corrupt power brokers of entrenched politicians are bad. It's like, no, I just kind of think that it's saying that there are good politicians and bad politicians, yeah, I think and I that's it. Like, you know, it's not really making a deeper complaint no, I, I to agree. any any of those systems, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, especially because, like, the, the long-running, the theme of the movie is, like, this, like, you know, the same group of people has effectively been in power for 20 years, and things have, if anything, gotten worse. Um, yeah. And that's bad, right? Like, and that's, you know, and, like, that's that's not, like, you know, like, there, again, there's, like, some of the moment stuff there, but, like, you know, I, I don't think it's a particularly political film either. Um, these are just, like, things that, things that, that popped out at me. Again, the, 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 honestly, the most frustrating thing in the movie to me, like, the most, like, not the thing that I thought was the worst about the movie, the thing that was most frustrating about, about the movie to me was that moment where, like, they keep saying rat with wings and no one connects it to Batman until fucking Oswald <laughs> Cobblepot does. <laughs> 
can we talk about Oswald Cobblepot? The penguin is the greatest fucking thing in this movie. I, yeah. what a joy. Every fucking second, Colin Farrell as the penguin was on screen. It was a masterpiece. I loved it so much. I'm a little, I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad that he didn't have his tuxedo and monocle and top hat. And you might think that that's doofy. And it sort of is, but it makes sense in the comics because people give him shit for that constantly. Because the thing, the re he doesn't he doesn't dress like that because he's trying to be the penguin, right? Like he's not trying to be a supervillain, right? He dresses like that because he's a he's that's what he thinks rich people dress like, and his whole thing is he wants money, right? Like he is a greedy piece of shit, right? And so he is dressing himself in a tuxedo and a top hat and a monocle because he thinks of himself as right. Like he is aspirational to that kind of money and prestige. He thinks that having a lot of money, it's like great Gatsby in that way. Yeah. Right. Um, and they very much captured that spirit of penguin. Oh God. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, but he was, he did not, he did not have the, the monocle of the tuxedo. I was just like, I'm, I am hoping that he gets it in the next movie. Cause like the, the, again, the, they said it might be a TV show. I, I saw a thing that says that they want to get him for a penguin TV show on, on HBO max, which I was like, Hey man, fuck yeah, yeah no, I, I like, I, I think I agree with you. I actually think, I think the penguins, the best villain one, because like, you know, part of it is like, you know, he's kind of like secondary. So, you know, you get to kind of play a little bit faster and looser with him. And like the other villains he's standing against are like, you know, Falcone, who is like fine, but like he, he's like, he, he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not super familiar with, um, Carmen Falcone? Yeah, in the, in the comics. But, like, he is, like, he seems just like he's kind of like a normal mob boss, which is fine. Like, you need some some of those villains. Like, he's, you know, he's he's not, like, he's not like a super villain, effectively. Um, yep, he is definitely, he is a mob boss, 100%. He's also a Catwoman's dad. Um, all that is true. This all comes from a series of books by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale called The Long Halloween, and then later its sequel, Dark Victory. Um, but, yeah, he is just a, he's just a famous mob boss in gotham right yeah. um and uh and it's funny the long halloween which is a very good comic the long halloween the subtext of the long halloween is how carmine falcone is kind of the the last vestige of like old crime because batman has introduced quote-unquote new crime right now there's batman and there's also the jokler and the riddler and all of these other you know like costumed supervillains and Carmine Falcone resents them. He's like, you know, like, crime used to be the Sopranos in the city, and now it's like a fucking clown show, essentially. Um, all of that is missing from here. Even though this this movie does a very good job of including a world where the Penguin, Catwoman, the Riddler, and Joker all are supervillains who just exist ambiently in the world, which is maybe the thing that I, that I liked the most. It's like... It kind of plays into this bat family thing. Like, one of the best things that happens in the comics is a bat, you know, supervillain will pop up, and Batman has to go, like, beat up the penguin to get information about where he is. Just, like, a one-note a one thing. And it's, like, in the comics, there's, like, one single issue. He goes to the Iceberg Lounge. You know, he beats up all the penguins' bad guys, and he goes, where, you know, whoever it is. Like, the... Whoever this villain is, Professor Pig, maybe the where's Professor Pig? And then the penguin goes, Oh, he's over here. And then Batman leaves. And it's just like, yes, 
Penguin is just a fixture in the world. He exists. Sometimes he shows up. And that's a thing. And that's exactly what all the villains felt like to me, which I thought was so great. Yeah. And we don't have any, like, real supervillains yet, right? Like, um, you know, it's not like Catwoman has any cat powers, which I was never sure if that was, like, really a thing. She or does not have cat powers. She's uh, just a very good cat burglar. Um, and, uh, and like, the Riddler's just kind of, like, the the Riddler was, 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 was an interesting character. I don't like him as much as kind of, like, the, like, like... The Riddler here is leaving clues because he thinks that Batman is a kindred soul. Um, <laughs> well, the Halle Berry movie like has her with like I knew has, you like, were the cats like the Halle Berry movie. Oh god! And also, she comes back from the dead in the so in both her uh, the Halle Berry movie and the Tim Burton movie, she had superpowers, but. Yeah, the actual Catwoman does not have superpowers. Yeah, no, th- th- this is this is why I wasn't sure because I'm not a big comics reader. I'm, I'm sorry, Lou. I have my I have like faint memories of the Halle Berry movie, and that's that's like yeah. the extent of my knowledge of Catwoman. Um, and uh, and so what was what was I gonna say? Oh, and like so the Riddler. Th- yeah, this version of the Riddler thinks that Batman's a kindred soul, and that's why he's leaving clues. I like the version better where he's just kind of like obsessive compulsive, and he like need, he feels the need to leave them behind. Um, yeah, he he's yeah that is the that is the the it's honestly a very weird justification because it's like his dad used to beat him as a kid until he would tell the truth. So he compulsively has to tell the truth and be honest. Right. Which means that even when he commits a crime, he has to leave a puzzle so that someone could figure it out because otherwise, I don't know. And I always thought that that was kind of, like, weird, but I'm willing to go well, I mean, for it, it, it right? <laughs> it, it's, it's weird, but it's, like, it's fantastical, right? Like, this is, you know, it's, like, it's like a yeah. fun plot device, right? And I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's generally good. Like, I don't think that he, he'd be good in, like, a, a, a dark, gritty movie. Um, That version of him, like, the, and, like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this, this particular, like, instance of it. Because, like, I don't know. It feels like, the, the, you know, again... Things that are like vaguely political, right? Like these kind of like insurgents that like storm the the you know Gotham Square Garden or whatever it is. Um, like, it felt like there wasn't a lot there. To, like, I felt like it felt like I wanted them to focus a little bit more on like one of the plots, so I got it a little bit more fleshed out. Everything felt just a little too threadbare for me to like really like, right? Like, yeah, okay. This is also I, I have I have also seen people say. That, like, oh, Batman, like, this is a commentary on, you know, like, January 6th or whatever else. And, like, right-wing kind of, like, you know, right-wing kind of stochastic terrorism, right? Um, Which I also kind of reject, mostly because on its face, like, I don't know, you know, after a certain number of, like, mass shootings where people live stream that shit to fucking Facebook, it is no longer political. It's just a part of a reality. You know what I mean? And it's not, you know, like, to put this in bleak terms, I don't think that the Riddler is commenting on Elliot Roger just because there have been hundreds of these. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, of, where, of like, th- this kind of violence yeah. that that is coordinated on these dark, you know, like, web sites where people are are saying like fucked up shit so at this point it's not even a political thing it's just like a the fact of our of our reality and that's kind of how i felt about i felt about the riddler whereas in in other stuff i do think that there is kind of that you know it is about this this specific breed of right-wing terrorism i just kind of feel like that this is 
internet hate groups are a thing, and they sometimes spring into violence and the, that happened with the Riddler, right? Like the Riddler is using, is using that, which is really no different than like Jim Carrey's Riddler using fucking like VR headsets to mind control people because like VR technology was trying to happen with Nintendo at the time. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just like, that's, that, that was kind of my, that was kind of yeah, my, I, I, my think, I think I agree with that. I also saw a take that was like, the re- like the bombing of the seawall is like environmental commentary. I was also like, I think that's just kind of like a thing, right? Like, so interestingly, I do think that's commentary, but once again, I think it's politically neutral. It's Hurricane Sandy. I think that that's what it's uh, it's, I mean, it's you going could, like, for. When I think seawall, I, I mean, so the reason we didn't have a podcast last week is because I was in New Orleans. That's what I thought of when I thought of like a broken seawall that leads to the city flooding, right? Like, yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah, to, to me, it's just like, we have had hurricanes that have flooded cities, yeah. you know, this is a supervillain makes, makes that happen. Right. But yeah, the, the, uh, the, that happened in New York, yeah. right. Yeah. You know? no, it's so true. Like, yeah. Sandy did happen. In, yeah. You're absolutely correct. Right. Like, yeah. So that was, and actually, to be honest, I quite liked it. Um, one of the things that I was almost disappointed in and th- I, I'm of two minds about this, but one of the things I was almost disappointed in. Um, on the, um, uh, music, like on the, on the, on the level of the, of the movie was this idea of, um, God, I had this train of thought and then it like jumbled up in my brain. It's like, I, it's like it crashed. I have, I have all of these thoughts. I just need to sort them out. Okay. So we were coming up on the climax for the Riddler, right? And, um, and there's this thing and I was dreading this idea that the we were just going to kind of find the Riddler's hideout and he and Batman were going to punch and Batman was going to lock him up in Arkham Asylum. I wanted something bigger, right? And so this kind of extra layer to the mystery where even after the Riddler, you know, he would eventually turn himself in or whatever. And by that point, you kind of know that there's more to the story than that. Um, the, 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 the sort of breakout into this, terrorism big big stuff that that was good because it made the story climactic in a way that it didn't really kind of feel like it was right we had we had solved the mystery we had figured out what was going on with like falcone and everything like that um and i just wanted this to end with more of a bang than than that right um but at the same time i definitely think that the movie kind of lost the thread a little bit in all of that um in all of the climax stuff, just because there's a lot of stuff happening. It reminded me a little bit of the Matrix Resurrections where, you know, I, I kind of described this problem where the movie is just like whipping by. It's going so fast. There's so many plot points kind of getting like thrown out. And that's sort of what happened in, in the climax of the movie. So on one hand, I, I was very glad that it ended in a bigger spot and it kind of went out with a bang. And you did just get to see Batman beat up bad guys with a fucking gun. God damn. Is it that hard to, to show, you know, Batman beating up a bunch of, beating up a bunch of bad guys, right? Um, but there was just so much plot to it that it did kind of get bogged down and uh, and the movie lost the thread a little bit for me. I, I think I, I, so I, I think I generally agree with you. I, I like the way you frame that because I know the moment that they started like going down like the Riddler like plot, I was like, wait, this is still going? I thought it was going to wrap up after the Falcone thing. And I was just like, God, this is long, right? And like I said, I thought it was too long. But I, I see what you're saying, and I think I agree. I think I agree with your kind of like um, your, your take there. Like they just kind of like lost the thread there. I, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. 
I had I had another point, but I I can't quite remember it. But yeah, no, um, I don't. I thought it. I I will agree with you. The gun stuff, or like you know, like the, the action was pretty good. Um, I also think with it, they were like teasing the Bane formulation, right? That was like what that that last thing. What like the, the he injects himself with like a vial of green fluid. And then yeah, he, what the, I have no idea. I think that's what the fuck that was. So so if you if you want. If you want a like a, a vague you know a vague conspiracy, maybe a, a point of inspiration. This feels to, like there are like elements of this that like, um, and I I know he hated this, so he probably won't be a fan of this. But Max Landis has been doing this whole kind of like alternate DC universe thing, which I've been following pretty closely. Wait, I'm sorry, he hated the Batman. Um, I don't think he hated it. He so he put up an Instagram post with a basically a parody script that I thought was pretty funny. I'll see if I can I can find it in a few minutes. I'll, I'll read it. Put it basically like mocking kind of like the the, the dialogue's kind of stilted at some places in this movie. I think um, my personal least favorite line was like Alfred being like maybe it was Falcone, maybe it was a down on his luck criminal. I was like that th that just felt cringy to me. But anyway, point being in Ma Max Landis's um alternate universe um excuse me apparently i'm talking enough that the co2 level near my computer went up super high um, <laughs> um uh in max landis's alternate uh dceu um the batman and bane are the same like they're fractured versions of bruce wayne's uh personality right like um, oh, okay. Yeah, Fuck. Uh, that's a big spoiler. For, I hate that, but oh, all right, that's fine. I think I think like if you take it in kind of like the whole Max Landis reimagining of sure. of American, it's like the American Alien saga or something like that. The Kryptonian mm. epic maybe is, is the name of it. I think he does it well, but like I got visions of that maybe. Like I thought that was supposed to be like the Bane fluid. Um, okay, you know honestly, it might be one of the cool things about the comics is sometimes that stuff will come up. I do think in the utility belt, in Batman's utility belt, he does keep Venom for that kind of purpose, and maybe that's a plot point. That would be kind of sweet, to be honest. Um, especially just as a very minor detail, right? Where it's just like, yeah, dude, at some point in the past, Bruce Wayne beat up bane and he keeps a little venom around just in case he like really fucking needs it right which is one thing that this movie did very well by the way that i like quite a lot which is that dude if batman gets fucked up in this movie holy shit he gets absolutely wrecked on multiple occasions which is um which i i think is kind of great you know like it, it adds a lot of stakes and a lot of drama to this sort of like down you know um uh, down to earth, you know, very, very grounded version of Batman compared to something like, uh, like in, like in Batman versus Superman, you know, that is a Batman who trivially deals with criminals. He's so good at it because he's been doing it for 20 years, right? That it's not a problem, which is part of why, you know, like the story there is about him fighting Superman, someone who is, who has the powers of a God or whatever. Right. Um, and so this being a version of, uh, this being a version of Batman who, you know, he like, he, he does the, the wingsuit thing and he pulls the shoot too late and he ends up like clipping a bridge and completely fall, like, like getting super fucked up. First of all, that, that uh, was this supposed to be a joke? Did people laugh in your theater at that moment? Uh, no, no, they did not. They also did not laugh in, in my theater at that moment. But uh, somebody, somebody was like, "That was a funny joke," and I was like, "I don't think that's a joke, dude. I think that's just Batman earnestly like barely escaping with his life, like." 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, but it's stuff like that, right? Because right before that, too, right? Like, you see him, like, he has to brace himself to do the jump, right? He is not super confident about, like, pulling that move off, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And he is escaping, you know, he's escaping the police station at that point um, with a million cops running up, running up behind him. So to me, that was like, you barely escaped with your life from this thrilling chase. I, I could, but I couldn't possibly understand that people thought that that was supposed to be a, like a like a zinger, yeah, like a Marvel like yeah. one liner or whatever. Um, yep. Which was also, by the way, incredibly refreshing to see. Jesus Christ, there was zero. You know, there was like zero like Marvel one liners. Yeah, wow. I've, I've, I do have a couple of nitpicks. The the the, the two that st- stood out to me like particularly was like you know that when they're bearing down on. Uh, on Batman, who's like on the ground, right? With with when Selena Kyle's stealing the money, um, and like he's fine, and then he like gets in the car, and it takes the car like twenty seconds to rev up, and it lets the bad guys get in the car to drive away. It's like, what was the point of that scene other than to induce a car chase, right? Like, <laughs> Honestly, but that car chase was so sweet, though. Oh god, that car chase was so sweet. I mean. It's hard. I don't know whether I like this car chase or the car chase from Batman vs Superman, which was my previous favorite Batmobile car chase. Uh, There's a but little this too car much chase destruction was... for me to be comfortable with it. Like which one? On which one? This one. Like this, this one. Okay. This one was like super fucking reckless, and it like a tanker explodes. Right. Like. Yeah. Ah oh, man, it's just like, like the f- that it was ra- it was ah it was like raining. You know. Yeah, the tanker exploding and him. Bursting out, you know, driving through the through the fire, like the all spe- of that, I thought was great. Spectacle oh, but- <laughs> is great. The idea that like Batman pushed, like like ca- essentially like by his actions causes to happen. Um, I think it's a little bit more forgivable because he is the novice Batman as opposed to the Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. where he's like uh, supposed to be a more experienced Batman. But, like that, f- like and the fact that there were like no co- like that again, they didn't wrestle with it, right? That like Batman's not like oh maybe I screwed that up, right? Like. Um, and that, like, apparently Oswald Cobblepot is fine after that, right? Like, you know, you know, Jim Gordon leaves him tied up um, instead of, like, you know, radioing into a cop or something, right? Like, Yeah, he just walks away. Yeah, and that... I that, mean, to be fair... That's like, played for laughs. Like, yeah, well, but, but, like, to be fair, like, they weren't arresting him at that point, right? So, yeah, but they should have! <laughs> like, like, he just caused, like, a massive... I guess that's true. Yeah, I, again, had him on like really reckless driving. Like again, this is like a nitpick, <laughs> but it's one that likes to out. And the other one, and this is like a very personal thing. But the moment they pulled the thumb drive out and they put it into a computer, I'm like, no, no, you don't do that. You never do that. And then they actually had that payoff, right? Like you know, like you know, and you know, like this is like you know, like you know, cops batted opsec, right? Like you know, that's like a believable point. But it is like a thing that that like made me cringe as like a person. It's like, oh no, they put they put a weird thumb drive in a computer and they didn't even disconnect it from the internet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. honestly, I did I did like that bit quite. I did like that bit quite a lot. I I liked a lot of the Joker's little um, little puzzles and little riddles. One of my favorite things was how casually Batman solves those puzzles. Right, like. You know, Chip Gordon, he reads out the thing. He's like, what did this mean? And Batman immediately answers. He just, he just knows 100%. That, that felt very true to me, right? Uh, the thing, this is a very different, like, this is a very different Riddler in case, of, like, the Penguin was incredibly core. It felt like this was the version of the Penguin that I expected to see, right? The Riddler was sort of the opposite of that. This Riddler is completely different 
to the kind of Riddler that we get in the comics. But the idea of of, of Batman casing a crime scene and figuring out, you know, like de decoding what the Riddler has done, um, all of that makes just it, th that was like pitch perfect, and I and I loved every second of it. I also, and by the way, I don't want to say that's a bad version of the Riddler. I like the comics Riddler. The comics Riddler actually evolves into a sort of diet batman kind of private eye in gotham uh where he, people basically pay him to solve crimes in the way that batman would like naturally solve crimes which makes for very interesting dynamics and batman is also has been stumped by the riddler on, on multiple occasions and which implies that the riddler is smarter at these kinds of codes and puzzles and ciphers than batman is like there is uh there's one set of comics where he goes to the riddler and he hires the riddler to help him decode a, um, uh, what would you call it? I guess like a cryptogram or a something. Cipher. You know, yeah, like a cipher or whatever. Um, which is which is part of like how you know like Batman sometimes goes to the iceberg loud and beats up the penguin for information. Like yeah, Batman sometimes goes to the Riddler and gets help with fucking cryptic riddles that people are people are dropping uh, dropping him. Yeah, no, I mean that's. Uh, I think I think the Riddler's like an interesting character, um, and like. That's part of what, like, I don't know, I didn't like this this version of as much because he's, like, kind of just a crazy person. Um, uh, yeah, the Riddler's also explicitly not much of a murderer in, in the comics. He tends to steal shit and fence shit, but he's not killing guys, yeah. right? Um, which is a distinction that is much more important in the comics than it ever gets made in, in movies like these. Just because, like, you know, you kind of live in an ecosystem where in the comics you need to just sort of, like... First of all, you need to create a bridge of difference between someone like the Joker, who is explicitly a murderer and will go and like fucking kill people, right? There's like there's like high tier and low tier kind of bad right. villains on well, all like, these like, sorts of lines. Like and like in the Flash case, like the the rogues are all like you know like kind of like noble villains in it. Like they have like a code, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Which is the same sort of thing. Catwoman's also you know like Catwoman also doesn't kill, which is part of why you know. She does steal from people, but she steals from corrupt people that kind of deserve it. And it's like, well, is Batman really going to beat up Catwoman and make her, you know, return Carmine Falcone's money that she just stole? Who can never be sure, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. Where he draws the line is 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 at um, Cunnilingus. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing i want to mention i did not like this alfred i yeah, i like andy circus and i think alfred is uh you know a, an important part there always has to be an alfred in any batman story um but i don't like i don't know there's just something this 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 is an alfred that's built built off of a of a batman comic um where alfred is kind of like batman's like gruff british mentor or whatever and i was just like man i don't want that i want posh alfred i honestly jeremy irons is probably the best alfred that we've ever gotten um because you know he needs to be he needs to be very proper he needs to be very um uh you know uh sarcastic um and the one to kind of call bruce on his bullshit this is also michael kane did that very well where he called bruce on his bullshit um and I, and and I just felt like none of that really yeah. got delivered in 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 this movie. It's a, it's a different archetype, right? Like yeah, you know, like 
you know, prim and proper secret badass is like the typical offer. And this one's kind of like, you know, kind of like put the suit on the tough guy, right? Like, you know. Yeah, and also he's Batman's dad, which I fucking hate. Uh, this never really is a thing in the comics. Like, he is Bruce's parental figure in, in a certain sense. But, like, this made very, very explicit ties between, like, Batman and Alfred where it, where Alfred is Batman's dad. And I was like, no. Bad. This is wrong. This is like Batman and Batgirl fucking. You're not supposed to do that. That's not, that's not Wait. the relationship here. You, you 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 don't think that like that Alfred being Batman's father figure is a is a is a good thing like or is is like a typical thing maybe uh, I don't know yeah like I don't know how to explain it. it's sort of like an uncle it's sort of like how hmm. I can't I can't really think of like a good a good example of what I want to explain here but it is a very very cherished thing that Batman never replaces his parents, right? You know, like, that they that Thomas and Martha Wayne, like, loom large, essentially, um, in his life. And so, even though Alfred takes care of him, right, um, and was his, was his guardian for however long or whatever, and um, it's kind of like if, it's kind of like if a character was raised by his grandparents, right? That's what, that's what the relationship okay. is supposed to be like, right? Uh, which is not what we get here, where Alfred is explicitly Le Bruce's surrogate dad. Okay. And I was like, fair. I d uh, no, I don't want that. Okay. That's, uh, I buy that. I don't know. I, I see how you're trying to slice that. It's, ve it's yeah. very nitpicky. I want to be clear. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, but, it's, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 uh, I get that. I mean, a lot of this is also kind of just like, you know, I think part of this is supposed to be like Bruce processing his trauma, right? Like that, that's, that's what I think this the theme here is supposed to be, right? Like in yep. kind of explicitly, right? Like, you know, like, you know, I thought I was past all that fear, but now I felt that fear again, Alfred. Woo! Really? Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, one of the things I liked, I quite liked about the movie is that it didn't have big aspirations on it long any of those lines, which... Normally, I'm the opposite guy. I want filmmakers to take shots at the fences for this stuff. But, like, there really wasn't all that much thematic depth or content to this movie. There's, you know, there's a little bit here and there. Um, but uh, but I thought that was fine. I, in a way, it was kind of refreshing, right? Where, you know, like, there aren't, there, it is just a, it's just a fucking serial killer murder mystery. Batman has to solve a bunch of murders. It's that's it that's the movie right like um yeah so i don't know obviously it's hard for him and he has to he has an arc and he has to get over his trauma etc and kind of uh uh to see the bigger picture right um but i kind of i, I don't know i this this puts me in a very weird spot because i'm never the person who says this but i'm kind of glad that it just was a smaller personal you know kind of conflict than than making big big statements about the nature of no oh, fear and symbols and all this other sort of stuff yeah okay that's that, that's fair all right well we're we're nearing the end of our of our hour um <laughs> i think we maybe run this course did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with this no man but i fucking really want a riddler or i'm sorry a penguin tv show now reading that on twitter made me like oh yes so Something that popped into my head while we were talking is you were talking about kind of like the detective aspect of it. And something I want, I think, is I want 
um, and I might be cribbing this from somewhere because I feel like I've read this somewhere, but I want, um, instead of, like, the detective vision that you get in, like, the Gotham games, I want, like, something that's kind of, like, you know, the only game that I've seen that's done it really well is Return of the Oberdin, right? Like, I want something like that where, like, you actually have to solve, like, you actually have to do the detective work as Batman, um, you know, and obviously that, that'd be a hard thing to pull off, especially if you also want to do the action parts of it, but... I, I just yeah. I just really want that. I, I want I want more of that kind of like mystery solving stuff. Like I I um I don't know if we saw I think I mentioned it uh, the last time we talked, but I, I saw um, Death on the Nile and I figured out the mystery while it was happening. Right, like I made the call and I was like, oh boy, I feel smart. Right, and I I, I like that kind of thing. And that's why that's why I loved Overdid so much when it came out because like that was like that was all that game was is like be smart and figure this out. Um, yeah, one more thing that I do want to mention, and this is a long shot, but we just to talk about like sequel stuff or whatever. I really hope they do No Man's Land. Uh, do you know? Do you know about No Man's Land? No. Batman No Man's Land is a series of comics. It was the whole year. I think it was 1998 or 1999, where there is an earthquake that hits Gotham City, and the damage is so extensive that um, the U.S. government says Gotham is a no man's land. No one is allowed there, right? Uh, they put, they they put like, depth charges in the water. They blow up all the bridges. You kind of got this a little bit in The Dark Knight Rises, actually, in a weird way. Um, they blow up all the bridges to the island. Um, and people remain in no man's land, right? People who are criminals, for instance, um, but also just, like, people who couldn't get out, illegal immigrants who couldn't, you know, like, convince, um, like, immigration that they were actually, like, Gotham citizens, all this other stuff. And for the entire year of no man's land, Batman is in, you know, he's in no man's land, and it is almost kind of like a post-apocalypse story, right? Like, there's all these gangs. Uh, One of the things is that Jim Gordon remains behind, and he turns the the Gotham City Police Department into essentially a gang, right? Um, Where Because a big thing is fighting these gang wars over city blocks and, like, tagging it with... um, um, tagging it with like spray paint or whatever and there's like map there's a map of the city that shows like all of the different gangs like two-face has the the courthouse district right nobody knows where the joker is he doesn't have a gang but he is in no man's land and he's killing people right um there's uh the penguin does have a uh, he has he has the iceberg lounge, but it is specifically like a free zone, right? Like nobody, there's no guns allowed, and nobody is allowed to fight in the iceberg lounge because Penguin has the only pipeline to the outside world, and so it's where you can go buy supplies at like exorbitant fees or whatever. And he pays all of his muscles to like, all of his muscle to like keep the peace. And it's just, it, No Man's Land is fantastic. It is so good. It's was, it was one of the first of these big event comics that came out. Um, and I think you could do a version of No Man's Land where in the, per, in the, in the, because Gotham has flooded due to the Riddler's bullshit, right? You can now have a, a, a Batman No Man's Land movie in Gotham, Please do it. Just do it. Warner Brothers. Listen to me. Warner Brothers. Me. This is me talking. <laughs> you made me a, a Batman movie once before. Do it again. <laughs> like, oh, that's it. That's the last thing I wanted to end on. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that sounds that sounds like it'd be fun. It sounds like um like I Am Legend or like um or like Army of the Dead almost. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is actually quite like those. Um, there's, there, God, there's so much stuff. This is also a, a great, like, it's one of those things that makes for Escape a fantastic Bat family because um, 
there's a lot of stuff with Batgirl in there, which is uh, Helena Bertinelli Huntress, right? Uh, she features in Birds of Prey. But, like, the traditional thing is that she's willing to kill, and that's why Batman says, no, you're not allowed in, right? Um, but she becomes Batgirl in No Man's Land, and she just makes herself a Batgirl costume, and she says, fuck you. I'm going to do it myself, I guess. Uh, and she fucks up really royally, which is which is why Batman eventually takes the he takes the costume from her and he says, "No. Like you 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 haven't earned this. You can't you can't do this." It's a whole thing. It's so good. No Man's Land is is great and I just ah, oh, I want them to I I would want I want a No Man's Land movie so bad. Um Batgirl is traditionally Barbara Gordon, right? Or is that Batwoman is there? This is after Barbara Gordon gets shot and becomes Oracle. Okay. The 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 Batgirl that replaces Helena Bertinelli in No Man's Land is Cassandra Kane. Right, okay. Who does show up in the Birds of Prey movie as a completely different character. Cassandra Kane is the best martial artist in the world in the Batman comics. She is um she's the daughter of a mercenary who trained um she's the daughter of a mercenary who trained her I can't believe I'm about to explain this. <laughs> He trained her not to have language. She doesn't understand. She can't speak, right? Because he trained her such that her movement was her language, right? Like she learned sign language and she learned um, uh, to communicate with, quote unquote, her body, which makes her a better martial artist because her brain is wired to think to in be fighting. Yeah, to to think and to, to think and fighting essentially, right? This sounds like um, something some fucking writer can't, some comic book writer. Can't it is again, honestly, saying it out loud, it's cringy as fuck, but it was very cool at the time. I'm sure. Uh, and so she's she's this just in, insanely good martial artist. But um, so anyway, Kane is a bad guy. He's he's like a he's like a mercenary hitman. Sometimes comes to Gotham or whatever. She kind of like breaks away from him and is trying to do good. She hangs out with Lady Shiva, by the way, who is also the like. You know, she's also a Batman character who is an insanely good martial artist, and it's Lady Shiva who teaches uh, who teaches her how to speak, and that's part of this whole that's like part of this whole stuff in No Man's Land, where eventually, you know, she's just trying to do she's just trying to help people, and Batman gives her the uh, the Batgirl costume, and you know, she becomes Batgirl from there from then on. Okay, Barbara Gordon gets better at some point, right? That's like a thing. Yeah, she gets better somewhere in the mid two thousands. She gets like special surgery to get the bullet removed and her spine fixed. Every time one of these things happens, I just, I, just, I the thing that the one that runs through my mind is the Monty Python, like you know, uh, I got better, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, that that is a very controversial decision. It was actually written by uh, a writer named Gail Simone, who fa famously like she owned Barbara. Essentially, she's the one who basically took Barbara turned her into Oracle and then wrote the birds of prey series for, you know, a gazillion issues. Right. Um, so on one hand, it is kind of an example of this writer. This is the writer who owns the thing and she should be good at doing the thing. You know, like she should have the right to do the thing, but a lot of people didn't want Barbara to get better. They, they liked the idea of, uh, you know, Barbara is, she's not Oracle. That's, that's her role in the DC universe and you know they're that that's that's how it works right um so that whole thing was was controversial at the time what's what's the only expression like no one stays dead in comics except for like Bucky Barnes and like the Waynes maybe there's like it's like a list like Bucky Barnes the Waynes it was Bucky Barnes Barry Allen and Uncle Ben 
I think. And they and, and Barry Allen and Bucky Barnes both came back to life. <laughs> I don't think Uncle Ben has ever come back to life though. The Waynes have the Waynes have had, yeah, they've had alternate universes, right? Like there's like the one where like Thomas Wayne is the Batman and Martha's the Yeah, um, yeah. There's the also Joker. um there's a story called Death in the Maidens where Batman takes uh, a special drug that Rachel Ghoul gives him, and Rachel Ghoul tells him that it's going to let him cross over into the spirit realm and talk to his parents. Um, and th- that that book, it, it's a real question. You know, like obviously Rachel Ghoul can uh, use Lazarus pits to like come back from the. It's like a very mystical book, right? Um, but the, the it, it is a question of can he does eventually take the elixir and talk to his parents but it is a question of was batman just fucking hallucinating yeah. or was he actually talking to the spirits of his of his dead parents which was honestly really gruesome because when he's talking to his mom and his dad they both have like bullet wounds like martha in in one of the great details martha always has like a pearl necklace falling from her neck in all of the panels and it's like it's kind of like how in in rorschach in the watchman you know, each panel, the Rorschach thing is moving, but like you can't actually show movement in a comic. You just have to infer, right. and you just have to infer that she's just constantly, you know, there there are constantly pearls. Her pearl necklace is being broken, and pearls are like strewn across the ground. Um, and I think she has a bullet wound in her chest, or maybe her head, or something, and she's just having a conversation, even though there's like blood on her on her face. Um, Anyway, she, she she's very angry and ch- chastises Bruce for uh, going on this crusade. And Thomas is so angry that he won't even talk to Bruce for like two or three issues before he eventually talks to, you know, he has a conversation b- with both of them. And I think he convinces them that he's doing the right thing. I don't know. It was written by Greg Rucker, who's a very talented writer. So I remember liking it at the time. Fair enough. All right. Well, how was uh, your week? Oh, holy shit. It's been a long week. It's been two. It's been two whole weeks. What have you done? Uh, I guess Zareth Mortis is out. I've been playing a lot of WoW. Yeah, me too. Zareth Mortis is out. Zareth Mortis, uh, for me, I play Triangle Strategy on the plane, um, the demo, and uh, Elden Ring. I've put a lot of time into Elden Ring. Um, Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of time into Total War Warhammer 3, obviously. I put a lot of time into Zareth Mortis. What do you think about... I guess... What do you think about the um the Zareth Mor- uh, the Zareth Mortis stuff? Uh okay, Z- Zareth Mortis is interesting. I actually don't like it as much as I hoped I would. Um, which is specifically because there's no goal to work towards. Um, it's funny because in in an in, in a recent interview, uh, Ian Hazakostas, the the World of Warcraft game director, basically said that you know one of the pieces of feedback that they hear all the time is that players want long-term goals for their character, right? They want to be able to polish off um, a character and to log on every day and be working towards something, right? Um, And he talks about removing that because it created this sense of obligation and, like, a mandatory... Uh, a mandatory grind for people, right? Who expected, you know, who played Corthia and they killed the rares every day or whatever because to them, they had to finish the Corthia grind before they were prepared to do high-end content. Um, even though, you know, that represents a, a 0.4% power increase or whatever. Um, 
He says that they that they removed that because they didn't want people to feel like, you know, they had to go grind Xerath Mortis for hours and hours and hours in order to go do mythic. You know, like if you just want to go raid, you can just go raid. That's 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 the philosophy. Uh he's talking about me, I realize. Like he's talking about me when he says you know what he is. What he is talking about: players who want that long grind, who want to, uh, you know, have long-term goals for their characters. I, I, I'm that kind of character. I'm that kind of player, I guess. Um, which is complicated, I guess. Uh, it, to to think about, um, and that's kind of why the. That's kind of why Xerath Mortis isn't necessarily like hitting me right where I want it because it doesn't feel like I have anything I'm like working towards in the same way that I was with the Maw and with Corthia. That's fair. No, I I, I totally get that. Um, uh, I've been I you know I've been having fun with it, but I've also I've been enjoying the kind of like you know I can do like an hour a day if even if I even want to do that much and just like come back to it and you know like leave it for the for the time being and then do raid and not think too much about it. Um, uh, I have like I sometimes get into this mode where like I'm totalizing and like I'm not enjoying it, but I feel like like I never got that way with Corthia, but I will get like in ways where it's like I feel like I need to kind of like just keep grinding on things and I won't like it, and th that's when I usually burn out. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. burned out on this expansion yet, which is nice. I know that um I listening to uh, a comedy club, uh, a different podcast, uh, Savadar does not seem like he enjoys this. Has been enjoying nine point two very. He's been pretty down on <laughs> the expansion. Down on well. Yeah, I think I think it'd be interesting at some point in the future maybe get him on here since he's like he's somebody like you're very positive on WoW. I'm very kind of like whatever on WoW. He's fairly negative on it, so I, I think it'd be interesting to get him in there as like an alternate point of view. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I've had like I thought the new zone was very pretty, and like I definitely enjoyed kind of like the WoW factor for the for the first bit. Um, and, you know, there's just, like, just enough with that, like, Pokepock reactor stuff that's like, oh, I'll do some stuff, I'll throw some stuff in it, and I don't feel too much pressure. Like, I've got a little bit of a nag in the back of my mind. It's like, I should change factions and earn more outfits um, and do that. Um, I've been doing that because you get so much anima, which is one of my favorite things I, I think about Shadowlands is anima and, like, the number of things that you can buy with anima. Just kind of having a, a huge resource to grind endlessly right, whose only goal is to go to a vendor and buy, you know, like, cool shit. I, I love that, man. I just finished my, um, my Renown set uh, uh, for, for, uh, for Night Fae. Um, nice. Is it, is it, is, it's not hard to change back and forth, right? Nope. Okay, because I I would always want to raid in Night Fae, but I do, I do kind of want to go get the, uh, the, 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 the Verinthian, the, the, whatever, the, the blood, the vampires, Venthyr. I want to get the Venthyr. Yeah, I want to get the Venthyr set, um, at least. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's easy to get the basic set because all you do is play the Covenant campaign, um, and you just get it. But then you can also get like the Renown set. That's something that I've been working on. Is on Bairn, I have all of the Necrolords sets and all of the Nightface sets, and I'm chipping away at the other two just kind of when I have time. Um, and uh and anima right i just sort of dumped my anima into those because it's like you know you come back and you have five thousand anima or whatever and it's just like oh yeah cool i'm gonna go get an axe or whatever you know and just like add it to my to my appearance collection yeah no i've i've been that's what i use a lot of my gold for as i go like the auction house and i filter by like 
uncollected and usable. And it's like, ah, oh. like I've gotten most of the ones that are like under a thousand now, like under a thousand mm. gold. And it's like, I'm just like, like a bargain hunting. It's like, oh boy, I can get a, I can get a new, like a, a new shoulders appearance. Woo. Um, yeah, I mean, I went really hard in Corthia for this because in Corthia you had the random chance that uh, you could get like, I, I started paying attention to this when I was like, oh, I'm getting transmog out of some of these dailies. And I realized that like in Corthia, there are dailies that come from people from a covenant, right? And those have a chance to then give you, Orion, stop messing with my mic, please. Jesus, don't bite the mic. Orion, stop it. What, what, do, I, what do I do? He's just biting the shit out of the mic. Hold on. Oh, now he's mad at me. Get get back. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> anyway, um, and I realized that there are like these visitors to Corthia every day. So you, you will sometimes see like the accuser or Kael'thas will come to Corthia. And if they have a daily quest, most of the time that daily quest will give you a an appearance for that, that right. covenant. So for a long time, I was going in, I was doing my Corthia dailies just to get those, those appearances. I wanted to farm out all of those appearances. And I, I have a minor goal to sort of do that over the course of... Um, over the course of 9.2. Honestly, my big thing with 9.2 is that Mythics are back, and they're hard, which is nice. Uh, in 9.1, I kind of just walked into 15s. Uh, they were they were difficult, but they weren't they weren't very hard, right? Like, we, we were clearing 15s week one. 15s in week one were astronomically difficult. Like, they were just insanely tough, um, which was honestly really refreshing, right? Uh, because you want to be able to walk up the ladder again, right? You want to have to kind of, like progress and set a you know and figure out a route and all these other sorts of things so um uh so i've been i've been very much enjoying my time with that what do you think of the raid so far um so i think it's been fun so far um i don't like like the what, what did we do we did the first fight was was fun but kind of like it felt it felt kind of it, it felt like the first fight's always which is kind of easy um yeah uh the what's the second fight? The second fight is Skolex. I thought Skolex was in so I so um I missed our first night of raid, um, uh, but I went and pugged Skolex. Um and that was a fun that was fun to pug. Um <laughs> I mean it took us a couple attempts to get it, but it was just like, you know, like getting people to understand, no, you all have to stand together or else the buff you know, the debuff doesn't wear off, right? Like um uh honestly, like once we got that down, it felt like that group got it done a little bit easier than we did, which was weird. Like, it felt like there was a little <laughs> bit more dithering in our raid, which didn't make a lot of sense. Maybe it was just, like, number of people or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, Skolex is interesting, because Skolex, I think, is... He was described by, by a friend of mine as uh, a loot pinata, uh, which I thought was kind of true. Like, he, he's not very hard mechanically. I don't really see how... Once you get the core mechanics, you basically don't wipe on Skolex. So, um, so a big thing I think about him is he is very much like individual responsible. The only group mechanic is the, yeah. is, is the clump mechanic, right? And that's the only thing you have to think about. Otherwise, it's like dodge the swirlies, don't stand near the tanks and get like, you know, murked because you were standing too close to the tanks. Um, unfortunately, the way he's set up, I guess, like I don't parse super well against him and that's like personally frustrating. Like, like <laughs> yeah, uh, I also think that we do... I'm not trying to subtweet anybody here, but I think we 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 overthink Skolex a little bit. The way that I was doing Skolex with another group is um, 
you know, we all just kind of stacked. It, it was two warlock gateways, right? And we all just kind of was like, okay, take the gateway. Everybody takes the gateway. You take the gateway and you're standing on top of one another. He does the thing or whatever. But we have all this stuff with like markers or whatever and call outs. And, and I think that that's, that's important, especially as building a foundation to go into heroic where it is going to scale in difficulty. But um, I don't know. I, I always felt like Skullix was a very straightforward thing. Yeah. Uh, fight comparatively the the way the way we did it in that in the pug group was instead of having a point on the ground that we went to is it was like on a person it's just like stack on this priest right or stack on the raid lead right yeah. um and so it didn't you know it, it made you know it, it was it was a little bit more flexible and you didn't have to worry about like you know the breath going out over the uh over, over the the standing point but i think part of it too is that was a smaller raid and like Honestly, the hardest part of doing it with the with the guild as opposed to doing it with raids is that there were more swirlies around the base because there were more people in melee. Um, yep, absolutely. Yeah, one one gazillion percent. Um. Also, <laughs> <coughs> um, uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Skolix. Zymox. 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 Um, I like Zymox. Um. I think like Do you like it more or less than the early the other version of Zymox? I think I like the other version more just because yeah. like like I think this fight's easier. Um Yeah. I think so I like the other fight more because like I don't know, sometimes I like being the hero. And I like and like as much as like it sucked to die, it was like, you know, I'm gonna fucking like dive with the seed, you know, to save the raid and I felt felt like a big man. <laughs> um uh and I thought that was fun. Um uh I just, I just didn't feel I like this. This one feels, I don't know, kind of, kind of like once you nail it, it'll be done. I don't know. I don't know what the differences for heroic are, but like you know, the portal mechanics. Yeah, I also mean, don't know what the differences for heroic but, are. The thing that I, the thing that I don't love about Artificer Zymox is he doesn't feel like an artificer this time. Yeah. Uh, whereas before he had, you know, it was very clearly the Maldraxxus crystal, the Arden wield seeds. And the moss worn blade, right? Like he, the, each of those phases, and the core mechanic was built around. Oh my God, Orion, stop it! Oh my God, Orion, please God. Um, and the core mechanic was built around those, and that, and they were flavorful, right? You know, the Maldraxxus ghosts are going to possess you. You know, the seeds are going to explode. They they are color coded, you know, appropriately or whatever else. Um, but uh, this one, it's all broker stuff. Um, and first one stuff, and so everything is white and gold, and I, I feel like it loses a little bit of its, of its flavor that way. Though I think I ultimately like the the rings thing better than I liked, um, you know, like any of the other sort of teleportation mechanics. Yeah, I, so I def I think it's more reliable, right? Like you don't have to time it. Like it, it's easier to time, I guess, right? Like you don't have. Like yeah, it also specifically always goes on one tank and one DPS, so you can say the tank goes to the middle, the yeah. DPS goes out. Yeah. Um, was it? Uh, I when we last week we were doing Halandras. I thought that was super fun, and I'm kind of sad that we didn't go back to it. Although I guess I get it. Um, Halandras, I think, is going to be the banger fight in the raid for everyone. It's it's the same guy who did Paintsmith, uh, designed Halandras, which I I feel in my bones. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I like Paintsmith. I felt like. Paintsmith was satisfying to clear, but I didn't particularly enjoy the fight. I've been enjoy like I enjoyed our, our attempts on Halandras. Um, uh, the thing I like about Halandras more than anything is the sound design. Oh like, yeah, it it you know it feels like a different game. Like it feels like it feels like he's out of he's like a like a like a uh, what's what's like a system shock like cyber horror rather than yeah like, and. Uh, 
and it's just like I don't know that I don't know that any raid fight has made me feel like I am fighting an automaton in the way that Holandris makes me feel like I'm fighting an automaton. Because you know what I mean? Like there have been raid fights before where I'm fighting a a tank or a you know like a reaver right or something kind of like along those sorts of lines but very very typically those don't those aren't actually very evocative but this one is you know like it really does feel like and it's and it's just the little things it's like when he pulls himself out of the ground and he steps and there's a tiny knockback with that you know it's like yes this is a thundering huge 20 ton machine right and it is shooting missiles and shit at you and like ah i i thought that that I, it, it is it is a banger fight, and I am hoping uh, I'm hoping that we we uh, we have a good time with it. Yeah, I mean, forward. I made this joke during raid, but it, like, it it almost feels like one of those forgotten spider tanks. Like, um, and you know, it's I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to that at some point. I I did yeah. I did kind of enjoy um, our one attempt on like the the council fight, like the fake. Oh yeah, the pantheon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually really like that fight also because that fight is also very evocative, right? Where you have um, – uh, it's just nice that there's this callback to different mechanics, right? Like Denathrius is using all of his moves um, or, you know, even just little things like the gloom bolts that um, the Primus. Primus is shooting have that Maldraxxus necrotic healing debuff on them, which is which is typical of other, of, like, Maldrax's mobs in other places. Uh, you know, like, the Archon is doing the blowing thing, like, in Spires of, uh, Spires of Ascension. I just, that's the kind of shit that I'm here for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Um, what, uh, what else? Um, oh, um, so the... The cutscene that happened this week, is that supposed to take place post-raid? That is the cutscene that play, takes place after Anduin. Super intense spoilers, by the way, if we're, if we're going to talk about it. Okay, yeah. So spoilers for the, the last storyline. Is that what plays... At, is is the, the one that played at the at the beginning of this week's quest, is that that's the one that would have played... So I haven't actually done the one that played at the beginning of this week's quest, but uh, again, super intense spoilers... For real, I actually turn off the podcast. I'm, I'm trying to be very sensitive to this because I, I, I have friends who have yeah. dodged spoilers as best they fucking can. Um, if you're talking about the Anduin cutscene? Where he, where that he. That plays at the beginning of this raid? Or this week's story quest? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That one. Okay. Yeah. Then that, that plays when you beat Anduin in the raid. Okay. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I really, so during... During raid, I really I didn't do it because I knew there was spoiler sensitivity, but I really wanted to make the joke. We were talking about like things coming back. Is like you know, I wonder how they're gonna bring Arthas back this time, right? Like just because like he's like so fucking dead, right? Like yeah, I mean I I love that cutscene. I think that cutscene is I was I was honestly when I first saw it, I was kind of medium on it. I was like oh, you know like this is good, but maybe not my favorite. But it has kind of climbed up there. Just the more I think about it, the the better it is. I mean like obviously Varian Rin. Varian Rin is the reason I play Warcraft, right? Like, that is the thing that stuck me to Warcraft, is I saw this character and I was like, he's great and I love him and I want to follow his story. So obviously a cutscene that features Varian Rin is going to, like, get me. But also, it features Sourfang, who I also fucking love, right? Um, you know, because w the thing that makes me really enjoy Battle for Azeroth is 
the you know is the the storylines that went into you know Jaina for instance in Sourfang and, the, and their kind of complex emotional arcs and so to have the, those characters come back was great and then Arthas and I was like Arthas and Sylvanas ah whatever I don't care but the more I thought about it the better it is right um, just because you know so so for instance one of the things that people have said is like why is it Sylvanas who talks to Arthas why isn't it Jaina or Uther right Jaina is Arthas's former lover. Uther is Arthas's mentor, right? And you would think that they would have something to say about it, and it wouldn't be Sylvanas who does. Uh, but I actually think that that's incorrect, right? Jaina resolved her Arthas issues uh, in 8.0, which was part of her whole storyline in, in Battle for Azeroth, right? The thing with Jaina was, you know, she was holding on to this guilt and regret, and that was turning into, like, anger and resentment, right? Um, and so in order for her to be worthy of forgiveness and like a good leader for Kultiris, she needed to figure, she needed to figure out a way to kind of forgive herself for these mistakes that she has made, such as, you know, not sticking with Arthas and trying to keep him from doing bad shit. Right. Um, and Uther, you know, you re-resolve Uther's yeah, Uther stuff by going into his memories in the 9.1 quest line, right. Where, you know, you go back and you kind of, um, and Uther realizes how much anger he was holding on to Arthas, right? And how he wished he had come to Arthas with more compassion, um, like, you know, a paladin should have, rather than with with this kind of, like, anger in his heart or whatever. Um, um, Sylvanas this, this, is never... that, that actually pays off here, too, right? Like, Uther helps Sylvanas out of her funk. Yeah, no, that that is that is precisely true, right? Like, Uther is... It, and in fact, God, this is why I think it's it's so good. Uther is the only person capable of that, right? In the in the other cutscene with um, the one before this with Sylvanas, the, the last week's cutscene with Sylvanas and Uther, everyone gives up on Sylvanas, right? Bane literally says she deserves an eternity of torment where her the two halves of her soul are forever at war because they cannot reconcile. The only person capable of helping Sylvanas is the person who we spent in 9.1 learning to, you know, he learned to feel empathy for monsters, essentially, right? He was, he, he's capable of empathizing with Arthas, which means he's capable of empathizing with Sylvanas, which means he's the only person around that could have helped her two souls reconcile, which I think is great. I think that's good storytelling, right? Um, and uh, and I think that, that that pays off for Sylvanas here, right? Where Sylvanas has never had that same moment of closure that, that Jaina and Uther got with Arthas. And this is the moment where she can have the self-awareness and go, yeah, I, you know, my obsession with vengeance turned me into the same person you were, right? Which is, uh, that's not, that's a parallel we've been drawing this entire time, right? Um, so, and it's a uh, theme in this week's yeah. movie, The Batman. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? And, um, and, she, and she neither forgives nor absolves Arthas, right? But she just kind of moves past Arthas, which I also think is really great. You know, she never, she doesn't, she doesn't empathize with the guy who destroyed her kingdom and murdered her and dominated her against her will, right? You know, but she does go, you know what? I'm, I'm past this, right? I am through that, and I have put these issues to, to rest, which is the kind of resolution that I think is, is, like, good for her character and everything. And on top of that, I also think it's a really good 
resolution for Arthas, right? Um, the thing that turns Arthas into a villain is he wants to be invincible, right? He wants to be immortal. The underlying like principle of Arthas's character is he wants the power to never lose and to never die, right? Um, what this is why the song is called Invincible. Like the Arthas theme is called Invincible. It's named after his horse. Uh, Arthas named his horse Invincible because the tradition in Lordaeron was like Lord Iranian nobles named their horses after like aspirational things. So, for instance, um, I think his dad's horse was named Courage or something like that. You know, it's like it's like that kind of thing. Well, Arthas named his Invincible. The, the aspirational trait for him was he wanted to be invincible. And Invincible dies. Invincible, he he gets a he gets a wound, you know, like they're they're riding, he breaks his leg or whatever, and Arthas has to put him down. And this is the thing that that turned him into a paladin. He kind of resolved that he never wanted to be in a position where um he wouldn't be able to help, you know, like he wouldn't be able to to heal this thing. He, he didn't want to lose again, right? Uh, and so he becomes a paladin to get that power, but the, pow the power of a paladin was not enough to save his kingdom, right? Which is why he adopted Frostmourne and became a death knight because those things did give him the power that he wanted to never lose and to never die, which is why when he came back to Lord Oran, he resurrects Invincible as his undead steed, right? Um, and there's a really great moment in the book, I think, where... It's describing Arthas fighting King Anasarian, who's the king of the Blood Elves. They're the High Elves at the time. The king of the High Elves, Kael'thas' dad. And Anasarian wounds Invincible. He cuts off Invincible's uh, like legs, and Arthas goes flying or whatever, and Invincible tumbles away. And Arthas effortlessly heals Invincible's wound with necromantic magic. And this is like, this is the completion of Arthas's arc, right? This is, this is the foundational aspect of his character, is he wants to be immortal. He never wants to die. He wants to be impervious to, to, to damage, right? He wants to be invincible. And so the idea that not only is he fading from existence, right, is, is this, this isn't just Arthas's final death and the ultimate kind of culmination of his mortality, right? But he's also fading from memory, which is what Sylvanas says. She says, like, you know, like, be gone. Um, I, your name should not just fade. Like, you should not just fade from existence, but your name should also fade from memory, which is, like, poetic justice for a villain whose core, you know, like, motivating... Uh, whose core motivation is he wants to be invincible. He wants to be immortal, right? The fact that he is going to cease from not just existence, but also from memory is kind of like the ultimate, the ultimate death. This is the ultimate end. And I just think that that's really great. That's really poetic for Arthas. Uh, and so I just fucking really love this cinematic all around. I think I agree. I'm, I've got questions as to like what they're going to do with Sylvanas after this. Cause like, you got you kind of you gotta like lock her up, right? Like you gotta at least yeah. you gotta. Just, oh yeah. Um, and if I mean, my hope is that this plays out. You know, like in the grand story of BFA and Shadowlands, Sylvanas becomes the Lich King and Tyrande becomes Sylvanas. And my hope is that because Sylvanas has the self awareness to recognize, you know, who she has become now, right? She understands where that her obsession with vengeance has led her, that she will give Tyrande the closure that Arthas never gave her, right? Um, and kind of, whether that's Tyrande kills her, you know, exiles, or what, whatever that looks like, right? I, I, I just think Sylvanas is being tied up like a bow, there's no way she goes forward from this point, right? Yeah, like, I, I hope so. I am, like, 
you know, I would like to have a, a, a good Horde character sometime for a while, you know, for a little while. What, you mean Bane isn't good enough? Bane hey. participating in, like, one fucking quest? <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like Thrall, but Bane is uh, is a little bit of a sore spot because I also very much like Bane, and I was excited that he was kind of elevated into the principal cast and he was taken with us into Shadowlands um, as you know, like like yeah, sure, Jaina, Taronda, Thrall, Bane. He's he is one of these he is one of these characters and he's kind of done nothing, especially because he has the biggest personal beef with Sylvanas, huh, huh, Torin beef um he has the biggest personal you know like grudge with sylvanas because he was the first person in the horde to really defy her um and uh and she locked him up for it right uh so i was i was hoping for more payoff for that but eh, have we seen karen in in shadowlands like you feel like that'd be like a natural thing to do right uh karen shows up in the eight point one uh, oh, okay. heritage armor quest line for Torin, where you know there are unsettled there you know the story there actually weirdly ties into shadowlands where um spirits in the afterlife are like fucked up and they're and they're uh coming to coming to azeroth you got to deal with this stuff as a as like a Torin hero and one of the things that happens is the spirits attack thunder bluff and bane orders um like, he orders you to go, like, fight the spirits, but then that order is countermanded by his mom and dad who show up, and they're like, no, actually, they are troubled, but they need to be put to rest. They don't need to be, you know, fought, right? Anger isn't going to solve this problem for you, which I thought was very sweet and very good, and I loved it quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, we haven't seen Karen in Shadowlands yet. Mm. Uh, my big hope for Shadowlands, this is my this is my my tinfoil. My big hope for Shadowlands is that they bring a bunch of people back from the dead. I think that this is kind of a, a get out of jail. This is like a once in a lifetime get out of jail opportunity for you to go. All right, who do we think in all of Warcraft history it would be cool to resurrect and put in the main cast going forward? Right, um, and. My hope is that they do something along those lines. There's a couple of good candidates for that, right? Like Uther is one, uh, Alexandros Mograine, uh, Kael'thas, Holden High Mountain. Holden High Mountain would be my favorite, actually, uh, if they if they did that. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they have the, the balls, if they have the chutzpah. So, speaking of WoW, um, we have the announcement that the new, the new expansion is going to be announced on April 19th. Do you have hopes, dreams, thoughts? Predictions? Uh, my big hope is coming down a little bit from some of the crazier high-end uh, high-concept shit. Um, I like, I you know, I like Shadowlands more than a lot of people do, but I don't like the Jailer, really. Um, and I think really what I'm hoping for is something that's, uh, that's just like kind of more straightforward and not alien stuff anymore like that there was a there was an idea a couple of years ago that that got tossed around called the mongrel horde which was this idea that garage was going to unite a bunch of these races on azeroth like kobolds and gnolls and quillbor you know like all of those races from vanilla right like hogger that kind of stuff into his own kind of third faction which was going to be like 
you know, that was going to be the concept. I would love to see a reinvigoration of that, right? Um, or a new version of something like that. Like, I just kind of like the idea of coming back to Azeroth and there is a new thing to fight, but it has nothing to do with any of this, like, high-level cosmic, cosmic stuff. And I'm not even, I don't even hate the cosmic stuff. I, my thing with Warcraft is always, I want something new. I, I just want to move on from the thing we have done to a thing we have not done. Um, and so given that we just had a, a whole expansion of, of kind of uh, high concept stuff, especially because we're ending with Xerath Mortis, which is incredibly high concept stuff, uh, it would just kind of be nice to go back to, to a, a world where, you know, we're having sort of political disputes about, you know, territory or whatever. Yeah, I, this is the, this is the big problem with a lot of this stuff. Is like it's hard to de-escalate sometimes, right? Like they did it with Battle for Azeroth, so you know maybe maybe we'll get lucky and they'll bring it yeah. bring us back. Yeah, I mean it's always my philosophy that every expansion is kind of a reset of the story, and uh, I, I I sometimes see people who are like, oh I I I I've killed gods, you can't make me go kill Quillborn. I'm like, you know, man, shut the fuck up. Like we killed Deathwing the Destroyer who was trying to destroy the planet by collapsing the world pillar. I don't even remember whatever he was trying to do. Right. And we went from that to picking weeds on Sunsong ranch. Like we do this shit all the time. Like it's not weird to come down from these like super escalated world ending threats to something more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're a little bit over, but I do want to talk a little bit about Ellen ring. Um, but, Ooh, okay. Uh, but we are we're, so. Um, I've put thirty hours into it, and I think it's amazing. Um, uh, we're gonna do an episode on it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get some stuff together. But you haven't played any of it yet, right? I have not even touched it. Um, but I have made the promise that this is gonna be my first Souls like game. So let's let's go. It's it's. But I I agree with this assessment. That is the the best Souls like to start on. Um, uh, I could see you going one of two ways. I could see you either going like. Samurai, or are you going um, uh, essentially what would be a Tonric XB? You can get like Ooh. two big hammers. And so, like, if you have two weapons of the same type, you get this thing called power stancing, which is your so you're so you've got four essentially four main four main uh, attack buttons. You've got your okay. uh, each bumper and each trigger, and that's like the primary and the secondary for each hand. If for like I'm playing hammer and shield, so left bumper is raise the shield left trigger is the shield skill um right bu right bumper is swing the hammer um left uh left trigger is heavy attack with the hammer um okay so when you have two weapons of the same type you get this thing called power stancing and the left bumper swings both weapons at the same time so you just like you just like while around with the hammers and you can also get like a skill that's like wild so it's I think you'd like that a lot, um, but it's also like that. That does sound up my alley, and it is rare that I get to do that, right? Um, WoW has that fantasy of I'm wielding two oversized weapons, um, and like you can kind of cobble together a version of that in like Pathfinder, for instance. Um, but man, it is it is rare that there's like an action RPG that uh, where where I could do something like that. So, so the thing I love about it personally is it's also like very kind of fluid. So something something so game is not super well like doesn't explain all the mechanics to you so if you have any questions feel free to shoot them at me um but um uh you can two-hand weapon so every weapon has stat requirements and weapons with a strength requirement like the big big heavy weapons have strength requirements right 
Um, like the hammer I'm using has a strength requirement of 31. Um, if you two-hand it, your strength, your effective strength goes up by one and a half times. So like you could have a strength of 22 um, or 21 and two-hand it and use it effectively. Um, okay. I have the strength high enough. So like that's how you get that fantasy. Right? Like you'd be like, oh, I don't want to put that much into strength. So I have to two-hand it. Or I just keep pumping my strength. That way I could like put one in each hand and be all around. It's, it's so good. Um, like I said, I'm using the sh I'm using shield and hammer, but I'm also gonna try and do. I'm doing. Have you played Sekiro? Um, not a ton, a ton, but I have. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I was talking. I was talking to some friends about this, and uh, and they said that I should play Sekiro. Sekiro uh, is is very specific. Like it is like like Dark Souls and Elden Ring are like the general kind of fantasy concept. Sekiro is you play exactly one samurai and you play it one way. Um, yeah, I we, we this is exactly why it came up. We were talking about we were talking about uh, uh, Elden Ring and like samurai or whatever. And somebody said that I I said I had never played it before. Um, and somebody said what you said, which was you should play Elden Ring uh, because it's a pretty good onboarding. You know what I mean? Like you'll you'll understand it better um, because you've played whatever like WoW, Skyrim, that kind of stuff. And then somebody said, no, you should play Sekiro because Sekiro is actually the best onboarding for, for FromSoft. And then we just kind of talked about it a little bit more from there. Um, I highly disagree and... with that assessment. Um, <laughs> okay, that's fine. Like, I just think, I just think the Sekiro is a very different game. Um, like, like it might be a little bit better for onboarding for Elden Ring because, like, Sekiro is the first game of these that has a jump. Like, has a jump as, like, a main mechanic, right? Like, Elden Ring okay. also has jump as a main mechanic, but, like, Sekiro jumping over attacks is, like, an integral part of that experience. And it's really and it's got like like weird things with his hand, um, like he's got like grappling hooks and whatever, and that's like not very Souls like at all. Um, like, huh. like I think Elden Ring was the best general introduction um, to like that kind of like whole thing. I mean, like Sekiro and Bloodborne are very different, um, but like I think Bloodborne's closer to the core formula than Sekiro is, and um, uh, and frankly, frankly, I didn't like Sekiro as much as uh, as I have liked the other games. Um, but I also I just think it's it's also very different. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's very very different, and uh, um, it didn't grab me the same way that like Dark Souls three like really grabbed me. Um, and this game has really grabbed me. Um, well, and, yeah. I'm, we're we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'll leave it there since we're we're 15 minutes over. Um, any other stuff? Dude, I want to play more Elden Ring. So uh, uh, I'll leave it there. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Uh, nothing. No, we're, we're already over time enough, yeah. so we can, we can just go. All right. If you'd like to email us, but you thought about anything that we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at nerdsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at nerdsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames. We just go out live. Normally on Monday. Sorry, we had some conflicts this week. Um, we have stuff on YouTube. We have, you know, Twitter accounts and SoundCloud accounts, and they'll all be in the description. Um, that's everything I have. But do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, I am streaming this week, and I am streaming. Interesting. I actually okay. Yeah, this is a real. This is a real plug. Okay, so, uh, two weeks ago, we announced Zoetti to um, uh, we announced Zoetti, which is a which is a roguelike deck builder game uh, that we're publishing uh, later this uh, later this year. So this Friday at ten a.m. Pacific. We, I'm doing a reveal stream, right? So I'm actually going to stream, like, the Zoetti, essentially the beta, right? Um, to, to kind of show off the gameplay for the first time. So that is a real, that's a real thing that I do want to promote here. Is, because it, is this the one that, like, you were, they were playing poker hands in the trailer? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it is poker hands. Yeah, so the idea is that what happens is you have a, you have a deck of cards, right? Uh, and then you assign skills to each of the different poker hands, and every okay. turn you draw a deck of cards. And when you can make a poker hand, you can use that skill. Um, <coughs> so it it has that like deck builder sort of loop, right? But you are not collecting cards in your deck; you are collecting skills and managing your your skills with those cards, which is what makes it kind of neat and interesting. All right. Um... Is, is it so? I noticed the trailer had like um, non English characters. Is it going to be in English eventually? Uh, yeah, it is not localized to English super well right now. Uh, it's a Taiwanese company, right? Um, but uh, but it will it will definitely be in English by the uh, uh, by the time that the game releases, which is actually kind of a little bit of an issue. There there's actually a, the the current high end development build that we have right now. I have to play that in Chinese. The trailer that you saw, a lot of that was me capturing that footage, and I had to just kind of guess. Like, I just kind of had to figure it out by, like, context-exclusive stuff, because obviously, you know, I, I don't speak uh, I don't speak Chinese. But the demo itself has been um, has been localized, so that's what we're using. Um, that's what I'm going to be playing on this weekend, I mean. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to say, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.